Our good friend uh, Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center joins us uh, this morning as part of our final half hour, as he does every Friday morning, uh, Freedom Friday here on the Big Talker FM. ConsumerChoiceCenter.org, their website. Uh, you can find the latest news concerning consumer choice uh, across the states and around the world. Host of the Consumer Choice Radio Show, 10 a.m. Saturdays here on the Big Talker FM. Yael, my friend. How are you doing? Hey, Joe, things are good. It's actually strange. The uh, Billy Joel song you're playing is uh, it's the podcast intro for my colleague, Bill Viertz, who does our, our European version of Consumer Choice Radio. So uh, I, that's a great crossover. Good tune. Feeling good on, on uh, this Freedom Friday. And uh, you know why not? We're still locked down. So I guess uh, we're all going to have fun indoors, I guess. Now. For yourself. Uh, you know, Speak for yourself. Uh, I'm out and about uh, meeting people, seeing people, hugging people. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're okay. We're going to make it. I'm not going to frat parties and, uh, you know, uh, drinking, uh, you know, doing keg stands. Uh, but we're living life uh, here in the state of North Carolina. Well, I think you are the, the living embodiment of the frat party, Joe, and you're right beside the beach, so you guys got it all. So I'm very, very jealous about that. So if any of you guys are out there on the coast, do enjoy that sand and that ocean, because those of us in landlocked countries don't get to have that very often. Yeah, but you have a beautiful countryside, and I saw a beautiful snow just the other day that you were out and about in with your beautiful little daughter. So I'm sure you find ways to enjoy it as well. Hey, Yael, I mean, not too often, well, I don't know, you know, we don't pay much attention to Canada here in the U.S., but you are a native, and uh, there was news made on day one of the Biden administration that, in fact, uh, he was going to cancel the permit and the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline through the middle of the country, uh, while the Canucks had been moving full speed ahead and expecting, you know, this uh, this process to uh, move forward eventually and lead to some prosperity, some national security and energy independence for these two nations that make up two thirds of the North American continent. I mean, even the Canucks are pissed on day one of the Biden administration. Yeah, and that that's hard to see. You don't uh, you don't really get to see the the kind of angle of of Canada uh, it brought up in the U.S. news, but this is a, it's a huge deal. And the main reason is because Canada, you know, the one thing that we've got going for ourselves is natural resources and specifically oil, uh, specifically bitumen. And all of that is out in the province of Alberta and the, the big business out West. And the reason that the West of Canada pretty much exists nowadays is to try to get those resources out of the ground, get it refined, get it to the market. So really, there's been a huge push over many years to figure out how to do it. There was a very bad train accident that happened not far from my hometown in Quebec uh, that was carrying all types of oil that blew up. Um, you know, many people were killed in this city, and it turned people away from transiting oil by rail. So pipelines are actually one of the safest, way, safest ways to do it. And this Keystone Pipeline has been in talks with, you know, so many companies now since 2008, you know, this is a long-term thing. There's been tens of thousands of jobs, billions of dollars in investment, and it's been very tough for the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who's very much against any kind of oil for reasons of climate change. And he's put into this position where now that Biden is the one who strikes down the Keystone Pipeline, which would bring that Canadian energy uh, to the American shores for refinement and hopefully out to the market, now he's seen as a double bad guy because he was always against domestic oil projects, and now this international oil project, which will likely sink the Canadian dollar a good amount, uh, that's being canceled. 
Uh, apparently, this is going to be President Joe Biden's first phone call with a foreign leader uh, with Canada. So we'll see what happens in that conversation. But I'll tell you, Canada, uh, it's a bit more decentralized than the United States. So the provincial leaders who are like the governors, uh, they're very angry about this, specifically our guy up in Alberta, Jason Kenney. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a good friend of the Consumer Choice Center. He's actually uh, published a lot of our stuff on his Twitter page and Facebook. Um, he's, he's actually incredibly angry. This is a big deal for people in Alberta. It's a big deal for people in the middle of the United States uh, to have this entire project kind of be shut down. I think we can get into that a bit later, Joe, but it's another argument for why we cannot have all of our laws just be written by executive order by presidents. We need Congress to do its job so this stuff isn't undone every four or every eight years. I mean, there's no question the impacts of this uh, across the border. Uh, you know, jobs in jeopardy, uh, fracturing a deal, as you said, that's been in the works for over a decade now. Uh, it creates a situation where you know neighboring countries on the continent of North America are uh, uh, doing something that will make our people more prosperous and uh, We'll continue to, you know, of course, strive to be more energy independent and, you know, whatever that looks. I think, you know, there's an ability to diversify that in many different ways, not just through oil and fossil fuels. We talk about, of course, natural gas, uh, nuclear, I wish we embraced a little bit more, uh, which is, you know, the cleanest and the most sustainable and uh, there's no talk of that, of course. It's more wind, solar, renewable energy, and uh, you know, ripping apart most of our economy to get to that point. At least these are the proposals being put forth uh, by uh, those uh, within the administration of uh, the new commander in chief and many on the uh, on the left. Uh, it takes away gains that we've made in the past year here for you know the United States when it comes to energy production, less reliant on adversaries and other nations around the world. I mean, when you put it all together. This sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of it is is this is all for show. It is a lot of symbolism. You know, it's the idea that uh, now the United States will move towards a uh, post-carbon future. Uh, but it's just not true. I mean, look, this is uh, this is in the Canadian soil. It's in the ground. Maybe uh, it won't transit through the United States, but that doesn't mean it ain't going to China. It doesn't mean it ain't going to Europe. Uh, why not have the U.S. in on the deal, be able to create tens of thousands of jobs, have all kinds of investors, be able to make money through their retirement portfolios? Uh, it's been taken away, you know, and I, I think I should hook you up with uh, our friends at the American Conservation Council or Coalition, Joe, because they're, they're actually a group of young people who are very much into energy and also into, you know, figuring out how to deal with climate change. And they believe in market proposals. And, you know, these kind of, of just nixing of huge energy projects, really, it, it's just symbolism. And I, I think that's, that's really what's happening. We're not talking about innovation. We're not talking about, you know, all kinds of new technologies being deployed, all kinds of new innovation. It's just stopping an ongoing project. It's sad to see. Uh, really, it is uh, very hard for the people who are out there in Western Canada and people up and down the United States where, you know, the Keystone Pipeline, I mean, Goodness, how much uh, how much of it is built? Much more than the the, the Mexican border wall. But to continue to see this kind of be punted like a political football, I mean, this is kind of crazy. If you are an investor, if you're an entrepreneur, how are you able to survive? It's just like with the restaurants and everything else. How are you able to survive if everything is kind of done on a whim and is is basically signed away? You know, all these years of hard work just at a moment's notice. I think we're definitely going to see an impact. People are already seeing an impact at the pump. 
Uh, I, I've heard 20 cents as much in some areas. You know, this is the kind of stuff that happens, everybody. When you've got presidents and you've got politicians who start messing around with policies and impacting you, that means you as a consumer got to pay more. And uh, that's pretty unfortunate. And pay more uh, for abundant energy that we have and do not want to tap into. And it's not like you know other developed nations around the world are, are all just scaling back completely on fossil fuels. When you look at uh, well, China, for instance, and uh, Russia, for instance, uh, you know, many of our adversaries out there around the world, uh, they utilize these things and they're building on these uh, you know, resources within their own uh, boundaries. And even in places where, you know, policies, as we have highlighted, of course, the Nordic countries, uh, you know, they are oil rich and they are tapping into it as well, which helps pay for a lot of the things that, that uh, you know, are promoted here as, uh, you know, socialism. Yeah, if the sovereign wealth fund of uh, the kingdom of Norway was uh, opened up to any one of us, we'd all be billionaires or trillionaires by now. Uh, but yeah, this just goes to show that, you know, there there is a lot that can be done. And I do think that markets are finding solutions for many of the climate and environmental issues that people are, are trying to to come around with. That's why we have the Paris Climate Accords. That's why we have all these international agreements. But the people who are actually doing something about it are not sitting in political offices. Uh, they're people like Elon Musk, who actually come up with technological solutions. And what happens to them? Well, they get riled out of town. They get thrown out of California uh, because the politicians don't like them. I mean, this is the, the kind of stuff that we're seeing play out every day. We can all have whims and wishes about how we wish policies to go, but this has real impact on people. And if our policies are not allowing innovation to happen, that's going to make us much poorer and definitely going to put us at the bottom of the list when it comes to making us have economic growth, personal growth, I mean, that's, that's very important. It's, it's something that is, is unfortunately getting lost already in, uh, what, day three of the Joe Biden administration. Isn't it uh, you know, true that the most basic, you know, fundamental thing that helps uh, you know, secure an economy's base and the ability for its people to grow and prosper, uh, affordable, efficient uh, you know, power, energy, and to be able to harness that and uh, allow people to you know, then grow from there and prosper from there? Definitely. And it has a lot to do with the different sources and you need to have different sources, you know, and um, in my part of Canada where I was born, it's a lot of hydroelectricity. It's like that a lot in the northeast of the United States. It's, you know, large dams, hydroelectric dams, a big thing in Central Europe, uh, but we also have nuclear. So you need to have the various sources because, yeah, sometimes the solar panels will work great if you're in California and Arizona ain't going to work so well if you're, uh, you know, hanging out in Wisconsin. So there's all types of this stuff that needs to be diversified. And the only way to do that is to provide, you know, clear rules for entrepreneurs. If all of a sudden we're just going to change the rules every four or eight years, if I was an investor or if even if I've got my Robinhood app open, you know, I'm not going to put my money into these companies because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I'd rather bet on something that I know will happen uh, like the uh, the opening of sports betting in Michigan, for example, or you know, uh, great uh, innovative alcohol companies like uh, your Blue Shark Vodka there, or any others. I mean, there are people who are actually providing great products to people out there that people are willing to invest in, and uh, they're not necessarily going to just be thrown under the bus when the next politician comes around. With that said, uh, along with, uh, of course, the executive order uh, canceling the uh, Keystone uh, Pipeline permit, uh, also re-engaging with the World Health Organization, 
Yael, you have uh, reported extensively on The Who over the years. I mean, dating all the way back, I can find articles uh, back to 2015-16 through the Consumer Choice Center and some of the other publications that, that you're in. Just give us a little backstory again. Uh, remind us, you know, the, who the World Health Organization is, and uh, you know what they're about, and where our money goes when they engage in, uh, uh, you know, trying to lobby countries for one reason or the other. Where their focus has been, particularly over the last several years. Well, the, the World Health Organization is an organ of the United Nations, so yet another large. Uh, international bureaucracy, and uh, most countries of the world are involved. You know, they sign up or uh, pay the fees. You know, sometimes it's anywhere between 100 or $200 million, depending on your population. And what we started seeing many years ago is that, you know, instead of focusing on real epidemics and pandemics that were already springing up in, in places across, let's say, the African continent, uh, we had Ebola, which was huge. We've had malaria. You know, they were just very slow. And this is exactly what their focus is supposed to be. But instead of doing that, instead of actually putting their resources into finding the best researchers, finding out how to sequence uh, the DNA of of some of these viruses and to try to get vaccines on the market and and work with companies to get them to the market, they were focusing on things like, you know, people playing video games too much, you know, or the epidemic of of, uh, vaping. You know, they, they put hundreds of millions of dollars into trying to stop innovation for people who are just trying to use e-cigarettes to transition away from smoking. So we saw that trend happening very, very early on. And you wed that with the headlines that were coming about their grand, luxurious meetings that they were having in the Seychelles or uh, some other islands as well in the Caribbean. Uh, These things, these junkets were costing one or two hundred million dollars. And, you know, what were they really doing there? They're coming up with more rules to try to figure out how to deal with your lifestyle freedom. And they weren't talking about pandemics. They weren't talking about what might happen with future coronaviruses or anything else. And, you know, the pay that many of the people had within this very bloated bureaucracy uh, was just very astronomical compared to just the average blue-collar American. So we saw those problems very early on. We started a campaign to defund the World Health Organization as far back as 2016. Uh, We did international roundtables. You know, I was in London. uh, I was in... Um, Ontario. I was in uh, Washington, D.C. We were just trying to get journalists to wake up to what was happening. Unfortunately, it came to 2020 with uh, Wuhan, China, and uh, the start of the coronavirus pandemic. And, you know, all the problems that we discussed have come to fruition. You know, they missed the ball on what was happening in China. They trusted the Chinese Communist Party way too early. They didn't send enough resources. They're trying to do their investigations now and sending people, and they're getting blocked. And this is really what happens when you have bloated bureaucracies. So we did support when President Trump took the U.S. out of the World Health Organization. And it's sad that Joe Biden has just signed up with no concessions. Uh, we all understand the need for international health bureaucracies and to have some kind of coordination between countries. But have some concessions here, man. We're the biggest uh, single nation payer to this organization, and we come back to the table and we don't even ask for anything in return. I mean, come on. That is insane. They've let us down. They've let the whole world down. And I think it's uh, it's rather sad that uh, Joe Biden was able to do this with no criticism, no criticism anywhere. Uh, hopefully we'll hold his feet to the fire as much as we did with President Trump on other issues, too. Yeah, well, I mean, the color scheme of Air Force One, a, a big topic for discussion on uh, day one of the press briefing at the White House. And then what was it yesterday? Uh, Joe Biden got a little snappy, sounded like a, a Walter Matthau or Jack Lemmon and grumpy old men 
uh, he was a little grumpy uh, yesterday when he was asked a question about uh, you know COVID response. Uh, and uh, is this going to be common uh, course here, Yael, that we're going to expect to see kind of these softball type uh, questions? No scandal-free administration. Remember, the Obama administration was scandal-free. Joe Biden said it himself. I mean, this is a basic, you know, in two minutes, you just broke down the entire World Health Organization and why we should be questioning, you know, us reentering into uh, something as the largest funder of uh, this bureaucratic group uh, of, of countries. Uh, and in a minute, uh, literally, you laid it all out there for us, yet not one reporter who makes a lot more money than we do uh, asked this question yesterday or the day prior. Yeah, it's going to be a different kind of, of uh, uh, I guess, media environment in the next couple of years. I think it's a good opportunity. I, I read a couple of things from, from some other journos there in D.C. saying that, you know, now's the time to actually demystify the presidency. I think we've all put way too much stock in what this position is supposed to mean, uh, that there's supposed to be a central agenda, that there's supposed to be a plan or a budget that's, you know, dreamt up by the president. That's just not how our Constitution works. Our Congress is supposed to be empowered to make these decisions so that they're enshrined in law and they can't be revoked with the next presidency. And that's the problem with governing by the pen, as President Obama did and as President Trump did. There's a lot of great stuff that uh, that we love that he did by the pen, but it's not the best way to do things because precisely what we see this week, they can be undone in a moment's notice. So I, I hope we demystify the presidency a little bit. I hope we, we don't talk about... Uh, broader unity as if it, it's it's something, you know, obviously it makes us feel good, but it doesn't mean anything because the the laws need to be written by the Congress. They need to be combative. We need to represent every single diverse thought that we have in our country and our philosophy and between the political parties. And that's how we find the best laws possible. So we debate them among our parties. We use our systems and our institutions, and we use the Constitution. If we put all of our hopes and dreams into a politician or a president, uh, we're going to be let down. Um, many Trump uh, people are probably feeling let down now or might have previously. The same thing will happen with the Biden folks. So the best way to think about it is, look, be passionate for what you're passionate about. Advocate for that. Let's use our institutions. We have it within our power. Uh, we have a very great, beautiful system. Many people are trying to replicate the American model, and they aren't doing too well, uh, mostly because of the very things that we've been talking about. So let's continue to empower our representatives. Let's continue to empower Congress. The more we can do that and the more we can demystify the presidency, I think we're just going to be a bit better off. Yael, as it let you go, I'm not one to look uh, you know, backwards uh, and into the past, uh, but it is, of course, still within the week, at least, uh, and we want to move forward, But uh, and we'll see what happens with this whole impeachment thing eventually uh, with the Senate. Uh, but uh, President Trump issued a bunch of pardons in the 11th hour on the final night of his administration, and uh, you know, with a couple of rappers here, a couple of others there. Uh, including one here from the state of North Carolina, uh, a former congressional figure and chair of the NCGOP, Robin Hayes. He got into a little, uh, well, he got in a little trouble, and uh, you know the tr president uh, got him off the hook. And uh, there were some other people that we think uh, you know may have been more deserving of a presidential pardon. Congressman Hayes, I met him uh, one time. He came to Wilmington as chair of the NCGOP. And as soon as he walked out of his car with, like, four armed security guards, I was like, oh, boy, this guy's just a complete elite uh, Washington insider who is running the NCGOP, which is why a lot of Republican-leaning voters here in North Carolina 
have felt disenfranchised over the past uh, number of years uh, because as uh, the grassroots group of uh, you know conservatives and Republicans uh, and those who lean to the center right, they helped Republicans get into the majority of the General Assembly. Uh, they have felt disenfranchised in that someone like a Robin Hayes uh, just uh, completely uh, put his nose up uh, to the folks that got Republicans into office within North Carolina for the first time in 120 years. So I was never a big fan. And in fact, uh, one of our first broadcasts uh, when the NC GOP convention here was here was uh, to, of course, you know, call for new, a change in leadership. Uh, and then, of course, all this comes down the pipeline and uh, he gets in a bunch of trouble. But President Trump issues him a pardon in the 11th hour the other night. Yeah, and I have no ill will specifically for Robin Hayes. Uh, he was my congressman when I was growing up, and I started becoming interested in politics. I would write his office pretty often to just figure out how he was voting on stuff. I, I thought that was an interesting way. And everything that I mentioned in the previous segment about you know holding your representatives accountable, you know, that's what I was trying to do as a, as a young whippersnapper. Uh, but he was my, my congressman. He represented the area well. Uh, he definitely served, you know, for for the NASCAR community and, and definitely uh, for the the Charlotte area there. Uh, so I don't I don't have anything bad to say there. But then when it came to his uh, sort of tenure as the head of the Republican Party in North Carolina, uh, whether it was his fault or not, or he was put in that position, uh, he helped facilitate this bribe that went to the insurance commissioner. And this was done by a businessman who didn't like how he's being treated by the government, which I totally understand and I get, but there are legal mechanisms to do that. That's what we do every day at Consumer Choice Center. Uh, we're not bribing uh, public officials, and we don't think anyone should do that, and there's a good reason it's illegal. So he was not a—in the end, he did not plead to that. He was able to skate by on those charges, but he did uh, plead guilty to lying to the FBI, uh, which is, is something that has been brought up, and there's all kind of problems with that. But still, very bad situation. Uh, he did not serve any prison time and uh, basically now all these months later was able to receive a, a pardon uh, that was pushed by many of the senators in North Carolina, much of our congressional delegation. Uh, no doubt for the service to the Republican Party, but you know we have to think of country over party and principles. And what Robin Hayes did in his, in his tenure was uh, a breach of public trust. And, you know, while he was able to skate by without prison time, uh, we have states in our union where uh, cannabis is fully legal, yet in our state we have 3,000 people in jail for cannabis possession. And none of them, you know, were able to, to skate by with just probation or anything like that. They're still in prison, they're still in jail, uh, and they didn't get any pardon from President Trump, and I don't think they'll get one from uh, Governor Roy Cooper anytime soon. So it was... Um, Hard to see, but uh, look, we're just going to continue to to hold our our politicians accountable. I, I think that's all we can do, and uh, hope that our, our system prevails. And I think as long as we believe in that and keep pushing for it, and we follow the rules, and we believe in the rule of law, Joe, I, I think we have a we have something very beautiful to defend. Well, we know that there are two sets of rules uh, for you and me, and then of course the fat cat politicians uh, who uh, play the insider track on many different things. Uh, Robin Hayes being one of them. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. We look forward to hearing your Consumer Choice Radio broadcast tomorrow morning. I'm always tuned in and listening with a keen ear because we've got plenty of people commenting on all of the local programming that we provide on Saturdays. You have been a part of it now for you know, a year or so. And we're looking forward to more contributions like you provide here this morning on the Big Talker FM. Great to be a part of it, Joe. Thank you so much.
Yael Lasowski, Consumer Choice Radio, 10 o'clock Saturday mornings here on the Big Talker FM. Also, of course, uh, on their website, uh, consumerchoicecenter.org.